Uh, so we're continuing in Colossians 1, verses 21 till 29. Uh, in the Church's Bible, that'll be page 1182. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the Church. I have become its servant by the commission God, has, God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Thank you so much, Alex. Um, Megan's notices were excellent, but just to add, tonight's service is our monthly prayer and praise meeting, which is always great. So if you don't normally join us, um, but you're free to come, we always have a less time together, spending longer time in worship and praying for things, so we'd love you to come if you're free. Right, now on to the real business. Colossians, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you speak to us through your word and you have things to say to us that are relevant to our lives today, and we pray that you would do that now by the power of your spirit. Please, as Paul prays in Colossians, fill us with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we humbly pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, let me tell you about an experience that always stresses me out, getting my hair cut. It should be a simple thing to do, as I am not, as you can probably tell, someone who cares deeply about my hairstyle. But it still stresses me out. I get my hair cut at a Kurdish barber's owned by one of my neighbours. And so because they are my neighbour, it's either my neighbour or one of his friends, cutting my hair, I feel strongly like I should be evangelising them. You know, trying to find a way to talk to them about the gospel when they say, are you going on holiday? Or whatever it is. I don't love conversations with strangers anyway, but I find that being a Christian creates stress even around this type of everyday task 
like getting my hair cut. The last time I went, I did try. The man said, are you going into work today? And I said, yes, after this. And he said, what do you do? And I said, I work for a church. And he said, right. And we had silence the rest of the time. So if you prefer a silent haircut, there's a tip. Now, maybe you are new to Liverpool, starting university here or starting work. I'm wondering when the right moment is to say that you are a Christian. When's the right time to live out and express the difference that you feel? When do you come clean about what the Bible says about controversial things to people? It can be easy, I think, to feel like being a Christian is making my life more complicated. You know, starting uni is hard enough about without wondering about when to like come out as a Christian. Getting my hair cut is tricky enough without having to think about evangelism too. And that's particularly tricky for us because the message our society, everyone around us is always telling us, is that your life should be easy. In our place, at our time, we are very much against feeling stressed, feeling anxious, If we feel that way, it's a problem. Arrange your life to protect yourself from that feeling. That's what we're told. And so speaking up about being a Christian or the limits it puts in my relationships or the stresses it caused me to think about time and money, why bring that on myself too? There is, of course, a version of Christianity with, I don't know, beautiful social media posts and messages that basically says, all Christianity does is make your life easier. It helps you in life. And the definition of a better life is therefore an easier life. Christianity will make your life better. Church is a self-help seminar. Your life will be better, i.e. easier if you're a Christian. But Paul today is saying in this passage in Colossians, there is a better definition of better. It is the definition of better that we know because it's demonstrated to us by, I don't know, athletes or people who invent vaccines or people who've never heard of Instagram but just spend their life helping people. There's a better life that's harder. People demonstrate to us that choosing what is harder is better because what motivates them is more valuable than having an easy life. So I'm going to do a hard thing today. In fact, so hard, I can't actually do it. We're just going to hope that God does it. I am going to sell you, uh, I'm not going to sell you ways that Christianity will make your life easier. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to admit up front, in lots of ways, being a Christian makes your life more complicated. It actually asks you to invite difficulty and stress into your life. But I'm also going to tell you this. When you see Christians doing that, as actually Christians in our church are doing all the time, as Christians in history have always done, and Christians around the world are doing today, that demonstrates something. It demonstrates the infinite value, the incomparable beauty, the endless worth of Jesus when we choose that better but harder way. So whatever awkwardness or rejection or worse you've invited into your life by trusting Jesus, you've done the right thing. You've done the best thing. 
You've done the most human thing. We are made for a life that is harder, but better. That's what we're going to see in this passage today. And this is the first thing we see in this passage, and we're looking really from verse 24 onwards. So if you've closed that, you might want to open it up or switch it back on so you can follow what I'm saying. And Paul is saying, be assured by another's joy. One of the things that Paul has been really clear about in Colossians is this, that Jesus' work, his death, is totally sufficient, absolutely enough to bring you totally to God. You cannot add to what Jesus has done by anything that you do. God is going to bring everything in creation back to himself through Jesus. And he will include you in that if you ask him. And if you do ask him, it's done. Completely. You are a new person. And that is what we are about here at this church Just in case you're visiting or you're wondering, why do we do church? We're not about getting together because we think, oh, God will be impressed if we do that. We're getting together to celebrate that Jesus has already done everything we could need. He says that in the passage we looked at last week, finishing in verse 23. You might think that verse 24 would therefore say, so I'm off to the beach. You know, Jesus has done everything. Crack out the mocktails. Sit in your deck chair. It's all done by Jesus. After all, Jesus has done everything. Unlike what other religions teach, I don't have to keep a number of pillars or evangelise a certain number of people in the hope that God will accept me. So I can put my feet up, can't I? Not bother doing anything. What does he actually say in the next verse, verse 24? Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. See what he says after he says this whole thing about Jesus has done it all? He says, the outcome of that for me is that I choose hardship happily. The suffering that Jesus had to save the church, to save his people, I continue choosing that type of suffering. The rejection Jesus faced, the loneliness, the hatred, the betrayal, I do that for the church. That is, for people to come to know God, a certain amount of hard things are going to have to happen to Christians, and I choose to take my part in that. In fact, I rejoice to take my part in that. It's pretty extreme isn't it last weekend i went to a wedding it was very nice thank you for inviting me uh, and we had the ceremony and uh, at the point the rings were on the fingers the people getting married could have said all right everybody we're married now the job's done could you all go home get lost we can't be bothered with the hassle of this anymore all you do is like want more drinks and ask us to feed you and i'm stuck in these heels all day enough Go away. We're solidly done. Uh, In fact, what we did was a whole day and evening, and actually for some people into the small hours of the morning, celebrating them. They were showing each other off. There was a late night of sore feet and a sweaty dance floor. 
And they've begun now a lifetime of honouring and showing off the other person instead of themselves, which is often a very hard thing to do. When we make those hard choices, we choose the pain that goes with honouring someone else. At our best, that's not because we're insecure. It's not because like, oh, I have to do that or they will dump me. That's the point of marriage. You remove that insecurity. Rather, it's that you're so delighted in the other person. You do difficult things in order to show them off to the world. That's not easier, but it is better. And Paul is saying that about serving God when you're a Christian. A certain amount of suffering is going to have to happen if churches are going to be started and people hear about Jesus and people you know hear about Jesus. There's going to be a certain amount of embarrassment and awkwardness and things that you wouldn't choose. But I'm happy to do it, Paul says, because of the worth and the joy of what I've been given. And when people do that to you, when people round you are like that, showing you the worth of Jesus, the right response is to think, wow, given that this person is definitely not earning anything from God because they've totally been given everything from Jesus. So given that there's nothing left to earn and they're still choosing this, it must mean Jesus is pretty great you're still willing to choose this path of difficulty in order to show him off. Now, as an aside, just to be clear, that is the Christian life. We're all called to live. So we're all called to live, to choose what is difficult, not because we have to for God to accept us or like us, but because there just is a certain amount of hardship in a broken world, like Jesus' hardship, that is going to have to happen if people are going to hear about him. And the call of the Christian life is to say, rejoice in taking your part in that because the purpose is so great for people to hear about Jesus. And can I say that if you are always in your Christian life sort of resistant to that, you just want to sort of say, oh, it's so hard being a Christian. I'm burdened. I'm not joyfully entering into whatever the cost is for you not joyfully entering into whatever the cost is for you. If you resent giving money to missionaries or serving coffee to people at church or even coming to church, you really feel angry what you've missed out from because you're a Christian, you do need to just have a little think about where you are with Jesus. Because the effect of that, and Paul, this this huge, massive, full salvation is that he thinks I'm actually happy to accept the hardship that comes with sharing him. But Paul is not actually trying to get them to be more sacrificial. Remember, this church has people coming in trying to teach them a false gospel, a wrong version of the gospel. And Paul is saying, no, 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 don't believe that. This is so good, the original version, that I'm suffering for it. I'm happy to choose suffering for it. I've given my life to it. The suffering points to Jesus, so I choose it. Guys, it's so worth it following Jesus that look what I'm doing with my life. Maybe you are thinking of giving up of being a Christian for some reason. Maybe you're bored 
or you just feel flat or disinterested, or you want something that being a Christian limits you from getting. If you're really feeling like that, can I just give you a little piece of advice? This is from me, not from the Lord. Before you make that decision, go and spend some time with Christians who are joyfully choosing hard things because of Jesus. It will change your life. When you see the Christians in the world who are joyfully throwing it all away because they think Jesus is really worth that, that's where you contact reality. Much closer than whatever it is, is tempting you away. Maybe you do that. Sometimes I have this conversation with people and they say, yeah, I do spend time with Christians who are really sacrificial, but it just makes me feel guilty that I'm not like that. And if that's the case, that's a little sort of warning light on the dashboard of your life. Because Paul has said, we stand before God free from accusation. You can't be guilty if you're trusting Jesus. You stand before God without anyone being able to make you feel guilty. So if you can't be joyfully drawn on by the sacrifices of other Christians, rather than feeling condemned by their sacrifices, there's something a little bit strange going on between you and Jesus that isn't quite right. Because he says you're free from accusation. Three times a year, I go to have a meet-up with uh, some friends who are pastors, and we talk and we pray for each other. Um, the best picture I could come up for this, I just want to be clear that when we drink coffee, we don't do cheers with coffee, like this picture. I think it's a really weird behaviour, and I don't know where this picture came from. But anyway, I needed a, a picture that showed people meeting with each other. Oh, that's woken you up. I'll move on. None of, them, uh, none of the people that I meet with regularly are persecuted in any real sense. But they're all people who've chosen difficult paths because they believe in the worth of Jesus. So one of them is just an extremely competent person, but he's just given his life to doing ministry on a council estate. One of them has a PhD in literature. He could be an academic easily, but he just gently, lovingly pastors a small church in a sort of uh, insignificant place. Better not say where it is in case anyone is from there and offended. One of them is a gay Christian choosing celibacy because he knows that's what the Bible teaches him to do. And two of them came into leading churches from having had very successful careers, one in medicine, one in business. And when I meet with those people, I come away encouraged so much more to live for Jesus. Now, just to be clear when we meet, there is no hint of judgment or competition. They're not like that. Sometimes there's tears, because we're talking about difficult things, but there's no misery. There's joy. All of us come together on this shared, assured understanding that we are without accusation before Jesus. And so because that's where we all stand, seeing their sacrifices they make to present the word of God in its fullness, like Paul, seeing them happy actually and rejoicing to take their share of the hard stuff that needs to be done for the church to be built, I come away buzzing. If you're a joyless or flat or unenthusiastic or tempted to give up on Jesus for religion or working harder for another joy that seems more tempting, let the happy sacrifice of others inspire you. Think about Brother Andrew 
in his little blue beetle in the 80s, driving across Europe, sitting in the security queue, praying that his Bibles won't be seen. And can I say, as lots of you people usually are at this time of year, you're at the stage of choosing where to be at church, who to follow, who to trust. You only want to trust a leader when you can see joyful giving up of things that matter because of the worth of Jesus. That's the person you should trust. That's the person who should encourage you. And if you find that, even if the music's not your cup of tea or you know, the coffee wasn't as nice as you would have liked, if you find that, it's worth settling down to learn from. So be assured by another's joy because the treasure is so great. I once met someone, quite a strange person to be honest, who liked causing chaos. And one of the things he used to do was borrow mystery novels from the library and rip out the last chapter. (laughs) This was before the days of Google Books, so presumably he was causing quite a lot of frustration. uh, But let me tell you what is even more mysterious than a mystery book without the last chapter, tenuous link, the Old Testament. See what I did there? was smooth, no crunching of gears. The Old Testament, the bit of the Bible that comes before we learn about Jesus. If you ever read the bit of the Bible before we learn about Jesus, and I encourage you to do it, you will find there is lots in there that is hard to understand. Lots of it to us is extremely strange. And here's the strangest thing of all. It seems to be the story of God telling people how to live saying, please live like this so you'll advertise what I'm like to the world by living, being like me. But sometimes, even sometimes in the exact same breath, saying, I know you're not going to do it. Please live this way, but also I know you're not going to. If you really, really can't face reading the Old Testament, but I really do encourage you to do it. But if you really can't face reading it, that's quite a good summary. Please do this, but I know you won't. It is mysterious, this call to be radically changed with the knowledge of God and also to know that people always choose not to be changed. And I guess there are out there people who still only follow the Old Testament today. I think to them it's still a mystery. They must know they aren't following what God says perfectly, but they're still telling other people to try it, which as behaviours go, is mysterious. The Old Testament seems to say God is doing something in the world that is doomed to failure, but it's God doing it, so I guess it's not doomed to failure. So, hmm, what a mystery. It is a mystery, Paul says, unless you are a Christian. A mystery that was kept hidden for ages and generations, but now has been made known to the Lord's people. If you're a Christian, that's you. You know the solution to the, the mystery. For you know many things, but you get the solution to this strangeness. God saying do this, but knowing we won't. And it's more beautiful and glorious than you could have imagined. Paul says the solution to the mystery is Christ in you. You see, the mystery of the Old Testament is this. If there's just people... And there's just God's law they're supposed to follow. If that's all there is, God telling us to do stuff and us supposed to do it, what you end up with is a mess. We end up 
being angry that God is telling us what to do and rejecting him. And then God is angry with us righteously because we are rejecting the one who made us and we create a mess. And can I say every human being who has ever lived, even people who've never read the Bible live in that mystery. Everybody I know knows what we should be like to be better people and make the world a better place and does not do everything they could do to be better people and make the world a better place. So we all live in the middle of this mystery, whether we've read the Old Testament or not. The mystery of human existence, you know you're not what you should be. And even when people res respond to that by blaming, by saying, yeah, I've solved that mystery, it was like someone did a bad thing to me and that's why I'm this way. But you're still acknowledging that you aren't right, even if it's someone else's fault. It's a mystery. But Paul says, the mystery's solved now if you're a Christian. Solved by these three words, Christ in you. The mystery is that God deals with the barrier between us and him and comes and lives in our lives by his spirit. We are united to Jesus. Spiritually, instead of putting a law outside us and saying, oh, do your best to follow that, God reconciles us to him and that means he can come and live in our lives and change us from there. Coming right to me as an act of grace and kindness. I didn't choose that we'd sing Jesus Strong and Kind today, but actually it perfectly makes this point, that song. Did you notice? It basically says if you're weak, if you're tired, if you need help, come to Jesus. And I know that's true, but when I'm weak and tired and need help, I don't really go to Jesus. So what does the last verse of the song says, say? It says, Jesus comes to me. That's the solution to the mystery. Christ in you. And the riches of that mystery, Paul says, are so deep, so profound, because God could have solved this problem, our failure, in any way. He could have got rid of us. He could have, like, just zapped some renewed thoughts into our head. I mean, God can do anything, but he chooses to give us Jesus to live in our lives, to know, to experience, to love, to swim in the depths of being united to Jesus, to enjoy that, to grasp it. The gospel is not just God solves your problem. The gospel is that God fills your life to overflowing with the presence and love of his dearly beloved son. He unites himself to us in a way that can never be broken. He's always in his power and glory. He is always with us. He will never tire or be bored or have enough of you. The mystery solved is Christ in you. Some people still find Christianity mysterious because they're still doing the other thing. They still think Christianity is like God says you should be with this way, so try to be this way. And I think you'll end up right back in the mystery again. Someone actually said that to me once about being a Christian. Why does God keep setting a standard that we can never meet? Yes, without Jesus, that is very much a mystery. <laughs> but Jesus reveals that mystery. He says, God wants you to acknowledge you can't meet the standard and invite Jesus into your life. What if what's on offer to you today, if you're not a Christian, 
is that Jesus can dwell in your heart and you can experience all of his goodness to grace. The performance of your life to a law is over. God is in your life and the riches of his presence and goodness and joy in you, that's what's on offer. If you're not a Christian, that's what we're asking you to do. Ask him in to your life. Back to where we started, if all Paul is offering people is a better way to live, or his opinions on life, or an invitation to live a particular way in a new religion, what would be the point of suffering for that? Why sneak Bibles over the border and risk death? Why feel awkward at the hairdresser? Why ask a friend to come to Life Explored if it's just an alternative way to live? But what if we're actually offering Christ in you, the hope of glory, grace instead of works, all the riches of knowing God, that's worth disrupting everything for. If the heroic love of Christians is alien to you, get to know some Christians who are like that. They will show you the riches of this mystery. I love the way Paul says, the experience of this is like this. I strenuously contend, so it is harder this new life, but with the energy of Christ working in me. He says, you really have to push and drive and, you know, move forward uh, you're strenuously contending, but what you discover when you do that in this new life is that you have this amazing unity with Jesus where he's empowering you. You know, I'm going to finish by telling a story that I've told in this church before about some old ladies I used to know. Back in my home church I grew up in, there was a group, probably four or five, of old ladies, single old ladies who had been missionaries uh, on various, like, crazy places. You know, places that, back in the 70s and 80s, it was very dangerous to go. And they'd gone and done medical mission and taught in schools and stuff like that. And then they were back retired in our home church. And at the, if they ever had open prayer at church, they always prayed, but the, gosh, they prayed for a long time. <laughs> and they were earnest and they loved the Lord. But being a sort of 14, 15-year-old boy, we used to sit and nudge each other and snicker through the prayers and honestly we looked down at these old ladies there was nothing cool about them there was nothing fashionable about them they probably lived their whole life without all of the things that were important to me as a 15 year old boy I had no respect and I remember once our youth leader sat coming over after the meeting telling us all off and saying listen guys if there's anyone in this church you should be sitting at the feet of it is those people. They are the people who have something to teach you. Why? Because they've said, I rejoice for what I'm suffering and I fill up my flesh what, what's still lacking in Christ's afflictions for the church. They're the people who've lived that. They're the people who can bring you encouragement and joy by showing you that Jesus is worth that. None of them had any doubt that they were good enough before God. That wasn't what they were worried about. They were strong and firm and knew they were without blemish and free from accusation. Of course they knew that. But they didn't go to the beach. 
they said, I rejoice to take my part in filling up afflictions. And Paul's not actually saying in this, you should rejoice to take your part. Beyond that, he's saying, if you find people like that, let them minister to you, encourage you, build you up, grow you. They're the people who show you that this is true. They're the people who show you that Jesus is trusting. They're the people who show you that Jesus is worth it.